Okay, good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Church of Grace. My name is Patrick Hayes, and today is Friday, January 6th. It is the first evening we're meeting in 2023, so let's see how this goes. And uh, with that, before we start with a word of prayer, uh, please turn off your cell phones if you can remember. And by that, I mean turn them down. You don't have to turn them off or, you know, in airplane mode just so that it doesn't ring in the middle of the service. Okay. If you don't know how to do that, turn to a teenager close by and hand them their, your phone and they'll do it for you. All right. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump into the book of Jonah where we are actually going to read some verses and get into chapter one. Lord, you are just wonderful. Lord, you are so kind and patient. You are long-suffering. Lord, you are our creator and our savior. You have all the power. You have all the strength. You have all the riches. Lord, you're the one we can go to to get our prayers answered. You're the one we can go to for help, for comfort, for safety. And God, at best, we are sinners. And God, we are so grateful that you hear our prayers, and we just want to come and ask you to please forgive us of any shortcomings and sins, faults. God, we just want to be close to you. We don't want anything in our way. And Lord, uh, we thank you for this place we can meet. Lord, I thank you for running water, for uh, heat in the wintertime. Uh, thank you, Lord, for so much food and so many snacks that I can't even try one of everything or else I will get sick right here in front of everybody. Lord, I'm grateful for all these good folks that uh, will spend time coming out and worshiping you together, learning about the Bible and studying the Bible uh, on a Friday night when there's lots of other things we could be doing. God, I just want to ask that you would please uh, guide and direct this evening, give us a soft heart, Help us to hear your word. And Lord, just, Lord, you can speak to each of us no matter what we're going through, no matter what's going on. Even though we're going through the book of Jonah, you can speak to each of us. And I'd ask that you do that and you would just guide us, direct us, help us to be more like you and less like us. We love you greatly. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. So tonight we are going over punctuality equals Christianity. <laughs> oh, that joke never gets old. Okay. So we are in the book of Jonah. We are in Jonah part two, and we are actually going to get into the book of Jonah. So before we start reading the book of Jonah, let's talk a little bit about prophets. So we know Jonah is what is called in the Bible a minor prophet. Why is Jonah called a minor prophet? No, but it's a good guess. He didn't preach to Israel. You guys are probably going to... Yes, he has a smaller book. Angela, that is 100% the reason. It is a library type uh, categorical reference. That's it. The major prophets are the big books. The minor prophets are the little books. I don't know who named it that, but it's stuck and it's been that way forever, but that's it. It's not yeah, levels of importance. It's not. It's just the amount of pages or the amount of words written. So Jonah is one of the minor prophets. Now, why does Jonah stand out to us as a prophet? 
Well, he was eaten by a whale. Okay, so that definitely makes you stand out. What else? Okay, he was one. He was the only prophet to run from God. That makes him unique. What else makes him unique from a lot of other prophets? Okay, who he's talking to? Who do most prophets talk to, Nick? They do not talk to Jesus, but that's a good child's answer to every question asked in church. To Israel, to the Jews. Okay, very good. Both answers are correct. But most prophets talk to the Jews. Who is who is Jonah talking to? Well, yes, that's the only, uh, a more specific answer than Gentiles. Gentiles are all the others other than the Jews. Mac? He was talking to the city of Nineveh, and who lived in the city of Nineveh? The Assyrians. Okay, the Assyrian Empire. Very good. So that's a little bit of our background. Now, uh, as far as a prophet, okay, so when you think of a prophet, what's a prophet? What does the Bible say a prophet is? Go ahead. You can, you can, what do you think, Rick? No? Okay, nope. Barb, Barb's putting the kibosh on that answer. Mac, what comes to your mind? Okay. A messenger of God is a good, safe answer. Okay, and I think that's correct. Washington, what do you got to add to that? Okay, that's a good answer, but it's also um, only partly true. So what Washington said is somebody that God talks to directly. Now, why do you think that? What makes you think that? Okay, so Barb's going in a different direction. That's also right. And the answer is some, they talk about futuristic predictions. So I just want to add something to that, and that is the word sometimes. Sometimes they talk about futuristic predictions. Not every prophet does. Now, some very famous prophets and ones that are exciting have. Okay, Daniel. Okay, he certainly did. The Apostle John, right, with the book of Revelation, talking about futuristic stuff. And that's always fun and exciting because it's eschatology about the end times. But not every prophet made futuristic predictions. Amber? Mm hmm. So as far as prophets go, you find prophets in different political positions in the Bible. Some prophets were judges. We find that out. Um, but as far as a prophet, they didn't necessarily they were they didn't necessarily have any authority. As a matter of fact, even though they were supposed to be listened to by people, a lot of times the people they spoke to just grabbed them and killed them. And that was the end of it. So <clears throat> the idea um but with the attributes we were talking about, I want to add the sometimes. Okay, and with that being said, Jonah is a good example. Can anyone tell me a futuristic prophecy Jonah made in the book of Jonah? Well, if that was a futuristic prophecy, it didn't come true. <laughs> well, it did happen, but granted, we could with a lot of with any nation, we could say that you know ultimately, you know, every nation that rises falls. Okay, but Jonah didn't make any futuristic prophecies in his book. He does, 
And we're going to maybe look at one in the book of Second Kings. We actually read about Jonah making a futuristic prophecy. But my point is not all the prophets did. Not all of them foretold the future. A lot of them just went and delivered God's message to a group of people. And then that was it. So another attribute of prophets when we think of prophets is miracles. And again, sometimes they perform miracles. Okay, what prophets perform miracles? Elijah did. It's a good one. Back. Um, honestly, I don't know if I'd consider. Well, okay, so we're going to get into this in a second. Um, Paul certainly was a part of a lot of miracles. Uh, how about Moses? Moses was a prophet, right? Saw lots of miracles. Daniel was a prophet. Uh, so as far as miracles for Daniel, um, whether he was the one God had do the miracles, he was certainly involved in some, like the lion's den, right? Or actually, do you know the difference between a lion's den and a den of lions? One contains lions. A den of lions has lions in it. A lion's den could just be the place where we keep the lions, but there's none there. Okay, that's an important difference. So we've seen miracles with Daniel. Okay, so... <clears throat> He, now, the, the reason I bring this up and the next question that I have that I want to get into is, uh, are there still prophets in the New Testament? New Testament church. Moses is shaking his head, but he doesn't want to speak. Both or either. Answer the question however you want. Very clear that there are. Okay. But it sounds like you're going to be hesitant. I, I would say that there certainly could still be prophets. Okay. So the Bible talks about prophets in the New Testament church, and there's no cutoff for that. It's not like after the book of Acts and Corinthians, Ephesians, Romans, that it stops. Okay. And I want, I want you to see this, and I want you to understand part of this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Verses 28 and 29, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, uh, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles. And there's a question mark after each of those. And the answer is no, not everybody um, does all those things, okay? But... Uh, prophets still exist in the New Testament church, <clears throat> but there are also rules set up in the Bible for how that is supposed to work. Now, one of the big things that I want to explain as far as a prophet goes is that in the, if you, one of the answers someone gave, which was, you know, a good answer, but a very broad one was that a prophet is a messenger of God. Okay, and that's that's fine. That's a fine answer. Totally biblical. Um, hey, Deb. Uh, that's a good answer as far as who a prophet is. A prophet is someone who proclaims the word of God. Does that sound good? We all okay with that definition? All right. Now, that's it. A prophet is someone that proclaims the word of God. Now, even though it's that simple... In the Old Testament, where do they get the Word of God? From God. They get it from the voice of God. 
where God literally speaks to this person and says, hey, go tell this town over here thus and so. And they hear it, and sometimes they write it down and they send a letter, and other times they, you know, go and deliver that message in person. But they get it from the voice of God. In the New Testament, what is the prophet who proclaims the word of God? Where do they get the word of God? What's that? Yeah, it's the written word of God. Okay, so proclaiming the word of God and understand this, anyone who proclaims the word of God as far as the Bible definition is a prophet. You got it. Pastors, preachers are modern day prophets. Now, there is a difference in that, number one, you're not going to hear any futuristic predictions out of me unless I read the thing out of the Bible, okay? Or unless God gives me some type of a, you know, word, which is, okay, so <clears throat> there is nothing wrong with the idea of God giving someone a vision, giving someone a dream, giving someone a word like that for somebody or a group, I personally know one person that I believe 100% is a modern-day prophet. The reason that that doesn't need to be weird or scary is because the Bible sets parameters on these prophets. So there were days when people would just come into town and be like, I was sent by God and I'm going to lie down in the park for three days and then I have a vision, and I'm going to tell it to you all. And I'd appreciate money. And those days happen all over this country, all over every country, all over the world for thousands of years. And people would abuse the title of a prophet. And that's why in the Bible, if you went so far as to make a futuristic prediction and it did not come true, what was the penalty? Yep, it was a capital crime. Because God said, you don't talk for me unless I told you to talk for me. Okay, so in the New Testament, <clears throat> the modern prophet <clears throat> cannot contradict the accepted written word of God. And we read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I didn't write it up here, but you can look it up in chapter 14, verse 29. It talks about when a prophet is speaking, the other prophets listen and they judge what this person says. Okay, so God does not contradict himself. The special revelation from God will not contradict Okay, the written word of God. It can't. God can't give conflicting prophecies. And to be honest with you, the only person that I know of that I'm convinced is a prophet, <clears throat> they, first of all, the, if, I, if I told them that I thought they were a prophet, they would laugh at me. Okay, number two, they never come up with anything special but they have had times where they have a dream and they can't shake it and it's about a certain person and they'll pray about it and they'll go talk to that person and that person will say, wow, I've been struggling with that for a while, you know, and uh, thank you for talking to me about that. You know, that helped bring a little bit of clarity and that's it. They don't get on TV. They don't make any money. It's not a big thing, but God used one Christian 
okay, to bring hope and comfort and encouragement to another Christian, even though they had no knowledge of the idea. Does that sound crazy? No, that sounds very reasonable. Well, that's prophecy. When God gives that person a message that can be used for that other individual to bring hope or encouragement or direction, that's nothing fancy. Let me ask you this, okay? And I don't even want to ask this because I don't want to, I want to ask for a raised set of hands. Have you ever heard me teach the Bible and you felt like God had something that I said that was just for you and it hit you right in the heart? Got one, two, okay, there's some hands going up. So again, I don't know when that happens, obviously, right? We don't get up and ring a bell, although I would like to get a bell in here. I think that'd be pretty neat. Okay, but the point is God used a Christian as a prophet. That's it. It's nothing big and mystical and and crazy. And what we do know is that we have a filter. So when anyone proclaims the word of God, we hold it up to the filter. And if it doesn't line up with the word of God, then guess what? We have easy instructions. We gather a bunch of rocks and we drag them. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. We don't listen to them. Okay. We don't listen to them. All right. So Jonah's a prophet. Jonah hears from God. He, he hears directly from God. And just so, just so you know, um, I, I do consider any pastor, any preacher, any Bible teacher to be a prophet. If they're proclaiming the word of God, I have no problem with calling them that. I don't call myself a prophet just because that'd be kind of weird. Okay. But at the same time, I have never heard a voice of God. And I've always wanted to. <laughs> I would love to hear an audible voice from God. Believe me, if I hear one, I will let you know immediately. I will probably get on a live YouTube video instantly so everyone can hear about it because that would be the most just amazing thing I could imagine. It's never happened. So I'll, I'll keep you posted if it does. All right. Any questions? Yeah, Barb's got a bu- some questions. Go for it. No, that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the proclaiming of the word of God. What One thing we also have to remember is during the Old Testament, did they have the whole Old Testament? No. Okay, during the time of David, they didn't have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. They didn't have the Psalms until David wrote most of them. Okay, they didn't have uh, Jonah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Obadiah. They didn't have all of these books with all of this wisdom. They didn't have them. So what did the prophets tell the nation of Israel? They told them the message that God had for them, and it was a spoken word. Okay, now we can see this. And you know one thing that you find throughout the entire Old Testament? The message of every prophet's the same. Put down the idols. Get right with God. Obey God. Stop your nonsense. It's not like there are all these 
wild ideas. Now, there are some, like I said, the ones that are interesting are the ones that talk about the end times, the stuff that's going to happen in the future, the messianic prophecies about the Messiah coming. And then we read the New Testament and we look at Jesus's life and we're like, wow, that's so neat how they predicted that. Okay, but 100 percent, anyone proclaiming the word of God is acting in a capacity of a prophet. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter, I think it was 14 that I just read, okay, we are talking, well, you know what, let me just stay on track. We're already, we're already a little in the weeds. Barb, did you have any follow-up questions? That's okay. All right, write them down if you think of them. All right, let's do this. Let's read Jonah chapter number one, verses one to 10, and then we will get into the study. Okay, Jonah chapter one. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it, to go with them on to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee. For whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am in Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had hold them. Boy, story of Jonah gets right to it, doesn't it? It's a short story, so you got to get right to it. It's like, uh, what was it? Uh, that uh, The Hobbit, Tolkien. Anyone ever read that book? It's less than 100 pages. Did you know that? If you didn't read it, it's less than 100 pages. They made nine hours of movie out of it. <laughs> you, you could read through it in about 25 minutes. <laughs> Okay, it's the same with Jonah. They get right to the action. They don't need, they don't need 50 pages. They get, they get right to it. All right. Jonah verse 1. Jonah gets a prophetic mandate. So God called upon Jonah. So all the prophets got these. This was not weird, abnormal in any way. This is what the prophets received. They knew what it meant when God called upon a prophet and here 
He says, arise, go to Nineveh. Okay, so that was it. That was the instructions. So prophets knew they were to obey immediately. Okay, when God spoke to a prophet, and understand, when we read through the Bible, they didn't receive a prophecy every day. It wasn't like God was speaking to them in a big booming voice out of the sky daily. So when it happened, they knew, all right, time to make it happen. It wasn't a conversation. All right, Jonah wasn't like, look, God, I got plans this weekend, and uh, I got these Beach Boy tickets, and if we could pick this up on Monday, that would be great. Moses definitely tried that hard. He tried to put off God. He's like, well, I can't speak well. well I'll send your brother. Well, I'm also scared. Well, <laughs> well I don't care. So when the prophets got the message from God, they knew it's like, okay, here we go. Time to, time to do this thing. When, uh, when God would say, jump, the prophet would say, what color? Okay. <clears throat> Verse number two. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nineveh. Wash, go ahead and put up the slide on Nineveh. Now, you all here aren't going to be able to see it, but anyone watching the video from home, we can now add slides into it. So Nineveh was a great city. Nineveh was the capital of what empire? Assyrians. And remember, Assyrians are different from Syrians, just so we're clear. So the Assyrian Empire uh, dominated the Middle East and much of the ancient world around uh, 930 to 612 B.C. That was their reign. Um, they were ultimately taken over by the Babylonians. Uh, Babylonia was a region in the southeast of the Assyrian Empire, and it ultimately grew and they took over. Uh, Egypt was the other major power that at the time that was fighting for control of the world. Uh, it was the Assyrians who in uh, 722 BC conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, the Assyrians battered down the walls of Samaria and they took away uh, uh, the Jews, uh, resettling them away from the promised land. Uh, Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom at the time. There was already a civil war. Israel, the nation of Israel was broken up into a northern and southern kingdom. And they were taken away uh, about 200 years prior to the southern kingdom being taken away by Babylon. So uh, Nineveh, some background on the city of Nineveh and Assyria as a nation. Uh, Nineveh is one of the uh, oldest cities in the world. It is the fifth city mentioned in the Bible after the flood in the days of Noah. Uh, Hammurabi was the king of Babylon, and he wrote the oldest and best preserved legal text in history, and he references Nineveh all the way back in 1800 B.C. Uh, Asherdan III was the king of Nineveh when Jonah preached to the Ninevites. Uh, king Sennacherib was uh, the king about 21 years later. He invaded Judah and destroyed 46 Judean towns and cities. And after encircling Jerusalem and deciding, I'm going to overthrow 
uh, Jerusalem because we already, you know, my predecessor already overthrew the northern kingdom. Uh, after deciding to do that, uh, God had different thoughts, and we read about how in Second Kings uh, 19, uh, one angel of, of the Lord was used to kill 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, and King Sennacherib uh, tucked his tail between his legs and ran back off to Nineveh, to the capital, and realized maybe it's not time to take over Jerusalem, because God had a timeline. We can read those, those verses as they're entertaining, uh, but we've gone over that in the past. So Nineveh means the residence of Ninus, and that is Nimrod. Nimrod was the first guy in the genealogies in Genesis uh, chapter 11, I believe it was, that really has any description. Um, Nimrod was the mighty hunter. He was the first world dictator. He was also one of the uh, first high priests of the pagan religions that started back in those days. Um, Nineveh was large. And like Babylon, was protected by an outer wall and an inner wall. The inner wall was 50 feet high. Uh, it was 100, or I'm sorry, it was 50 feet wide. It was 100 feet tall. Uh, and it had 1,200 towers, each 200 feet high. Uh, I believe the historian Herodotus is the one who uh, wrote, about, uh, wrote about these things. He certainly was the one that described Babylon. Um, the city was 60 miles in circumference, and the population was about 600,000, and they were supported by internally grown crops because they had a river that ran through the city. Uh, the city of Nineveh was located on the east side of the Tigris River, uh, about 550 miles uh, northeast of Samaria. So you have the Tigris River running down, and you have uh, Nineveh. That was a city that looked something like that. And they had a little uh, river that ran through and dumped into the Tigris. And uh, I believe um, we said the circumference of the city, 60 miles, is a very big city. You know, 600,000 people, that's six, seven, eight times the size, you know, of the valley here. Uh, and it was believed to be uh, impregnable. Impregnable? Is that? It's definitely impenetrable. What's the word I'm thinking of? Is that is that a word? It's a weird word. Okay, yeah, we're going to go with impenetrable. Um, so <clears throat> the, the other thing we find is that Nineveh was impervious to siege. Whenever an army would surround Nineveh, the Ninevites would get up on the walls and they would look over and they'd laugh. So they're like, good luck. And I don't know if you guys can comprehend this. What does a hundred foot tall wall look like? I mean, it's 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 so massive, it's almost comical. Like I don't think I could throw something up onto a hundred foot wall. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's insane to try to build siege tools and bulwarks to be able to get over that wall would have been insane. So they were not taken over. Now, ultimately, uh, and we read about this in the book of Nahum, because Nahum prophesies to Nineveh as well, 
later on, about 100 years after Jonah or close to that. And that is when Nineveh is taken over and they're taken over by the Babylonians. And it was actually a, hand, a supernatural hand of God miracle that wiped out the city. Uh, there was great rain and the Tigris River flooded and the foundation of the wall that ran all the way down the t- Tigris uh, was washed away and the walls just <laughs> collapsed. Babylonians just marched in and it was a bloodbath. And we talked about that before, so I don't have to get too far into it. Now, as God says in verse two, what does God say about the city? He calls it a, a great city. Now, keep in mind, when we're talking about great, we're not talking about great as in righteous or great as in godly. We're talking about great as in powerful and impressive. Okay. The same way I could say Joseph Stalin was great. Okay. I don't mean like he was a good guy. I mean that his, his empire was impressive and powerful and, you know, it would strike fear into the hearts of whoever. All right. So in verse two, God also makes mention of the wickedness of Nineveh. So what were some of Nineveh's great sins? Because they were bad people. Hey, Matt, can you get me something that I can use to erase the whiteboard, please? Idolatry is a great one. They were idolaters. Nabu, Asher, Adad, and Dagon. Dagon being the most famous of the pagan gods. He was the what god? Pagan god of the fish. Okay, he was the fish god. Thank you, Matt. Uh, They were also drunkards. And uh, we read about it in the Bible that that was uh, part of their downfall. Okay, that they were drunkards. Uh, They were unbelievably violent. Nineveh was called a corrupt city of blood. Assyria's cruelty is documented on the unearthed cuneiform tablets uh, that have been found. Uh, So I don't know if you know this. Nineveh was the home of the world's first what? Very good. Library. Yep. And when, and it was, it was a private library of the king. Don't ask me to quote what king it was because I don't remember, but he had a private library and the number of cuneiform tablets that they uncovered, it was in the realm of like 30,000 of them that told the history. And they took, I mean, there was so much information. It was one of the greatest, greatest archaeological finds of the 19th century. I think it was like 1860s, 70s, 80s, somewhere in there where Nineveh was uh, excavated. And it took, again, don't quote me on the number of years, but it took something like 80 to 100 years to finish the excavation of the city. I mean, it was just one of the most massive archaeological finds, um, you know, in the world. Okay, so... Assyria's cruelty was documented on these unearthed cuneiform tablets, and the Assyrian kings boasted of their cruelty. Okay, so to give you an idea, prisoners were impaled alive. They were uh, skinned alive or flayed. Uh, Oftentimes, they would skin their enemies alive, and then they would hang the skins along the wall of the city so that all the passerbys would see who was there and who took over and what happens if you cross us. 
Uh, they would behead people or drag you to death with ropes attached to rings that they pierced through body parts. Uh, they would blind you. The king himself would do this by his own hand. They would hang you by your hands and your feet until you died slowly of exposure. Uh, others had their brains beaten out or their tongues torn out and were left to bleed to death. And listen to this. If you were, you know, in the prison and on the list of one of the people that was going to be tortured to death, what they would do is they would actually take the bleeding heads of your countrymen and hang them around you in the jail cell while you waited for your torture and subsequent execution. So they wanted to psychologically destroy you and break you before they even got you, you know, onto the rack, so to speak. Um, now, what would be the purpose of all this? Fear, psychological torture. My point is simply this. Would all of this wickedness and barbarism be worth anything if no one talked about it? No, the goal is you're striking fear into the hearts of everybody in the world. You got it. You want you, We want the whole world to be scared to death of the Assyrians. So we want these stories to spread. So who knew about these stories? Jonah. Jonah knew all about this. Remember that, because it's easy to beat up on Jonah, and we're going to a lot. <laughs> but remember what he was up against, what he knew about. So here's the way that I imagine it, because we've read verse 2. God said, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. That's all God said to Jonah so far. That's all he's got. The way I imagine it is when God said, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh, I picture Jonah turning white as a ghost and blanking out, and he doesn't hear another word God says because Jonah is scared to death. Now, I'm not saying that's the way it happened. That's what I imagine. Because anyone that was told to go to Nineveh did not want to go there. Because they Nineveh was also famous for breaking their treaties with their surrounding neighbors whenever it suited them. So they would make a deal with this country or that country, and as soon as it worked in their benefit, they would ignore that and go and attack whoever. So no matter what you were going to Nineveh for, it was a great place of wickedness. There was a great amount of lawlessness. It was a great city of blood as it's described. So anyone that's going there, especially the Jews in Israel, were like, yeah, we're pretty sure they're going to kill us as soon as we walk in. Okay. So Jonah was scared. Okay. In verse three, 
Verse 3, Jonah, in heroic fashion, flees from God. Instead of traveling northeast by land, Jonah travels southwest. He doesn't travel on southwest. They didn't start the airline for many years after Jonah. So he travels southwest to Joppa. He gets on a ship and he travels to Tarshish. I hate pronouncing that name of the city. I always feel like I'm doing it wrong. I think it should be Tarshish. Tarshish? Forget it. Yeah, it just sounds so ridiculous. So I hate to inform you, I cannot point to Joppa and Nineveh and Tarshish on a map because someone forgot my maps at home. So I will bring the maps next week and I will point out where these things were. So let's just get to the point. I assume that every Christian has a point in their life where they run from God. Now, keep in mind, it may not be as severe as the way Jonah did, right? Because Jonah was like, I mean, he was running opposite direction. Again, it was almost like a cartoon. Yeah, where you just see the, the cartoon run, and then they'd get on a boat, go across the lake, jump on a plane, fly into the sun. I mean, that's what Jonah was doing, essentially. He ran. Okay, and again, Joppa, understand, is an international port city of Israel at the time. It went everywhere. So that was the place to get on a boat that could take you as far as you could possibly go. So Jonah, what was Jonah really running from? Okay, himself, God. I'm looking for something a little different. What? Well, he, I mean, it was going in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Can I, can I, and and I think that's reasonable. Can I give you this idea? Jonah was running away from the will of God. So this is the takeaway, right? We, We go through books of the Bible, a verse at a time, whenever we get together. But we want to take something home that we can use to change our lives this week. Here's, this is number one. This is the takeaway for you. Jonah was running from the will of God. Now, he did it by getting on a boat. Now, do you know that he had to travel for... Oh, I can't remember. I had it at some point. I might bring it up later. Jonah was not running from Nineveh. He was not running from God. Okay, let me ask you this. When he went to Joppa, did he get away from God? When he got on the boat and sailed to Tarshish, did he get away from God? Okay, he doesn't get away from God. He's running from the will of God. God's will is to go northeast and go to Nineveh and talk to them. He is running from that. Now, it's ridiculous because we know that you can't really escape God. God was next to Jonah every step of the way. There's no Show me the rock you can hide under where God doesn't know you're there. Show me the cave you can find or, or the depth of the deepest sea that you can go down where, where God's not there. God is omnipresent. God's everywhere. And God certainly knows where we are at all time. 
God doesn't misplace us like car keys. He knows where all of us are all the time. As a Christian, God speaks to us in some way, in a whisper, in a shout, with gentle pressure, with a boot to the behind. However God does it, God is trying to get us to do something to stop doing something. That's it. God's trying to get us to obey. And it's different for Moses than it is for Rick, than it is for, you know, Barbara, than it is for Joe. Okay, God is dealing with all of us, you know, in our own spot. But God, understand this, friend, the Holy Spirit, there's not a day of your life where the Holy Spirit is not putting pressure on you, trying to speak to you. Every single day, God wants us to be more like him and less like us. He wants us to obey him and his will. So we can ignore that in some way by just pretending, ah, I, I didn't hear that. When the pastor said, the th- I, I, didn't, I didn't hear that. Or in the morning when we're during our morning daily Bible reading and donut time, right? Now, I'm just going to skip over that verse. I didn't like it. I'm just going to keep reading real fast. Even though God's like, ding, 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 like the annoying little brother in the back seat poking at you. Hey, notice me. Give me attention. That's what God does with a Bible verse that we read. And we can either stop and recognize it, or we can just blow past it because I didn't like the sound of that. That is your ship leaving Joppa. That's it. We all have every day we have a ship leaving Joppa and we can get on it and we can try to ignore God or we can stop and say, okay, God, which way am I supposed to? Oh, to Nineveh. Okay, great. Thanks. I'm glad I took the time to listen to you today. All right. I'll just go up there and get murdered then. It's all God wants. Just go to Nineveh and get murdered like a man. Is that asking too much? Okay, let me ask you this. What was Jonah's message to Nineveh? So, in 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 Jonah chapter three, verse four, Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, "Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown." That's what he said. He didn't say to get right. He didn't say you get another chance. He didn't say, turn from your wicked ways, repent, O sinner. He didn't say anything like that. He said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was it. He walked into Nineveh and he said, you have 40 days and you're done. It wasn't even a message of hope. It wasn't a message reaching out a hand of compassion Jonah was thrilled that that was the message. 
He just wanted to say it and get out of Dodge. And then when he left, what did he do? He went up to a nice high hill and sat under a little tree and watched, waiting for the fire to come down from heaven. That He didn't care about them. Okay? So the reason Jonah didn't want to go there, I think, okay, was because he was scared to death of going there because he was going to be killed. He also hated the Ninevites, and someone mentioned it. What Jonah did know was that there's always time. How do you know there's still time to repent? Okay, yeah, when God tells you to turn, there's still time. That's it, because if there's not time, then he doesn't tell you. You don't hear a message. You just get wiped out. And sometimes God does tell you, he's like, hey, just so you know, this is it this time. For real. Nahum, go tell them. Yep, no, no, no. Forget the book of Jonah. They're dead. All of them. I don't care anymore. Rick, what you got? The biblical word that Rick is describing is long-suffering. That is the word for the book of Jonah. God was long-suffering with the Ninevites. God was long-suffering with Jonah. With his people and with his enemies, God is long-suffering. Okay, Jonah, as he is running from God, God doesn't destroy God has his will happen, but Jonah doesn't die and go home to be with the Lord and that's it. Sorry, game's over. Strike three. God just reminds Jonah, look, when I say, you know, this is the way it's going to be, it's going to be that way. Okay, you can throw as big of a fit as you want. You ain't getting a Snickers bar. Okay, it's over. I said so and that's it. God is long-suffering. So remember, just like Jonah was trying to run from God, friend, one of the problems that we have as Christians where we don't understand the message in Jonah and how it applies to us is that we see Jonah running from God, and it's this big, massive spectacle. And for us in our life, it's like we're sitting at the table in the morning, sipping our coffee, reading the Bible by ourselves, and we're like, man, that sounds like me. I probably shouldn't do that. They're like, yep, enough Bible reading for today. That is us acting like Jonah. Holy Spirit pokes us and we say, no, thank you. And we move on down the road. So Jonah's trying to run away from the will of God. Does it work? Let's go to Psalm chapter 139. This is a good one. Psalm chapter 139. We are right here on the verses we're going to be going over. Psalm 139, verse 7. We're going to look at verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. 
Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. What God is telling us is that he is everywhere. He is omnipresent. I can't run from God in heaven. I can't run from God in hell. It's a very poetic way of explaining two very opposite sides of a spectrum geographically. Okay, I can't grow wings and fly to the uttermost parts of the sea. Okay, God is there. We cannot escape God's will. So what I was really asking before is, will running from the will of God work? So it has never worked for me. If you guys figure out how to do it, let me know. Now, go to Psalm 37, verse 4. This is a very important verse. This is so much of the book of Jonah in this one verse. We're going to get there in one second. Psalm 37, verse 4. Now, this is the great part of God's will in your life. And remember, God's will. Do you know why I am so adamant that every missionary that visits our church, we take them on for support? Because I don't want to go there. That's it. Where are you going? Nicaragua? God bless you. Here's money. Yo, you're going to Madagascar? Good for you. Here's money. I don't want to go to any of those places. At all. The, the, the worst news I could ever get is one morning I could wake up and God could be like, hey, Patrick, guess what? You're going you're gonna to be a missionary somewhere. You're going to go to another country and tell people about me. That's great, God. Uh, Spanish 1 and Spanish 2 in high school, I passed with D minuses. I went to the college that I went to because there was no foreign language requirement to get a degree. That's the truth. I ain't preaching here, okay? I'm telling you the truth. I am not good at foreign languages. I had no desire to learn one and go to another country and try to tell people about Jesus. I trip over my own words in English. But the great part about God's will in your life is that once you are in it, you want to do it. Do you hear that? Once you are in God's will in your life, you will want to do it. In Psalm 37, verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, what does this verse mean? There's one of two ways you can take this verse. Both of them prove my point. Number one, it means that God will give you the desires that you have in your heart. Meaning this is what I really want, God. And God says, I'm okay with that. Here you go. The second thing that it could mean is that God will give you the desire. 
You see how that reads? Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. So God says, guess what? If you delight yourself in me, I'm going to give you desires. Meaning we're going to have different desires than we used to have. Either way, you will desire God's will. You will be glad you did it. This has happened in my life. If you talked to me three years ago about being a pastor, I would have laughed at you. I was like, nope, I have no desire to do that. Yep, I like teaching the Bible, but nope, don't want to do that. Don't want to deal with people. Don't want to deal with paperwork. Don't want to deal with none of that stuff. Okay, just not into it. God made stuff work around, and all of a sudden, he's like, hey, Patrick, here's what I need you to do. And all of a sudden, I was like, man, God, I think that's what you want me to do. And he's like, yeah, dummy, that's how it works. Hey, Carlos. <laughs> so if God tells you that you need to go to Tarshish, it, when you obey God, you will have the desire to do what he told you. When he tells you to go to Madagascar or Mars, he will give you the desires of your heart. All right, so Jonah here boarded a ship at Joppa. That's on Israel's coast. It's about 35 miles from Samaria. That's a two- to three-day journey. Do you get that? Jonah had to travel two to three days to get to the port city where he was going to get on a boat and go to the furthest point on earth. So Jonah was running from God, and while he was running, Jonah was covering his ears, right? Didn't want to listen to God. Going la, 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 la. Doesn't want to hear it. I'm just running this direction. Not looking back. It's running here with my ears covered. Jonah was literally hoping that God would just forget about him. Be like, oh, all right, whatever. He really doesn't want to do it. Let's find someone else. That doesn't work. Okay, so who can tell me where we find Tarshish. He was the Saul of Tarsus, different than Tarshish. You got it. Yep. Well, you shouldn't because, yeah. So one of the problems that we run into is the names of things change. We understand how that works. Okay, there was a city in Russia called St. Petersburg. Peter the Great made it, and then it ended up being named Leningrad. And then after that, it became Stalingrad. And then after that, is it St. Petersburg again? I think it is, isn't it? No? I think it's St. Petersburg. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, I, I might be wrong. The, the point is the names of things change, and that makes some things difficult in the Bible because depending on who takes over the city, okay, Alexandria, Egypt became Alexandria, Egypt when Alexander the Great took it over. Okay, that's what happens. 
So Tarshish was a distant port which silver, iron, tin, lead, ivory, monkeys, and peacocks came from and were brought to Israel from. Okay, that's all in the Bible. 1 Kings 10.22, Jeremiah 10.9, Ezekiel 27.12. Um, well, let's just read a few of them. Okay, uh, 1 Kings 10.22, For the king had at sea a navy of Tarshish with the navy of Hiram. Once in three years came the navy of Tarshish, bringing gold and silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Okay, there are several of these hints in the Bible. Jeremiah 10.9, Silver spread into plates is brought from Tarshish, uh, gold and Uphaz, from Euphaz, the work of the workmen and the hands of the founder, blue and purple is their clothing. They all, uh, they are all the work of cunning men. Ezekiel 27, 12. Tarshish was thy merchant by reason of the multitude of all kinds of riches with silver, iron, tin, lead, they traded in thy fares. There are lots of verses about the city, but none of them says, you know, exactly where it is. So those are the clues that I know of that can help us find out where the city is. Honestly, I'm not going to tell you that I know for sure. Most scholars believe Tarshish is all the way across the Mediterranean through the uh, Strait of Gibraltar and just north uh, of that point um, in present-day Europe which would be a distance of about 2,500 miles from Joppa. Uh, some have made a compelling case for England. We found that global commerce from Britain was confirmed by archaeological discoveries at Stonehenge uh, all the way back to 1500 BC. So we know by that time, England was already trading you know, internationally with the rest of the world. Tin was exported to Europe in large quantities from Cornwall, England during the Roman period. So there is a chance, you know, an outside chance that um, that England was where Tarshish, you know, is. But the fact is, uh, we don't know other than it was an island way off in the distance somewhere. Come on in, man. Yeah, yeah, come on in. You're fine. Yeah. Believe it or not, a guy just walked in two minutes ago. <laughs> so it's, yeah. <clears throat> so <clears throat> what we do know is that it was far, far away. So either way, Jonah was fleeing as far as he could to the other end of the world. Okay, let's pick it up in, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. And I think this is probably the last point we're going to be able to make, and we'll, we'll be done before we get into, ver into verse 4. All right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, three verses. We didn't really, <laughs> didn't make a lot of headway. <clears throat> okay, verse three. Jonah finds a ship and paid them to take him to Tarshish. Now, we find out later that it wasn't even a passenger vessel. It was a merchant ship. Jonah didn't care. Jonah wanted to get off the coast of Israel as fast as possible. So the end of verse 3 tells us explicitly that Jonah was running from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so here is the big takeaway number two. Okay, this is the thing to hold on to to help you live a better Christian life this week. A life that is growing spiritually is moving towards God's commandments, towards the will of God, not away from them. 
a life that is growing spiritually is moving towards the commandments of God, towards the will of God. Ready for this? Regardless of its difficulty. A spiritual life, God is pushing you in this direction. Sometimes he's leading you. That's a lot less painful. Okay, when you just follow him. But sometimes God's working from behind, shoving, pricking, cattle prodding. (laughs) Because God wants you marching that way, right? Okay, that is what a spiritual life looks like. It is not running away from God's will and God's commands. Now, for us, what we have to remember is in our life, there is always a boat waiting at Joppa. In the life of Patrick Hayes, there is a boat waiting at Joppa right now. And whenever I want, I can quit doing God's will and I can head two to three days southwest and I can get on the boat and I can sail to the middle of nowhere. I have a standing offer to take a job down in Texas at a company that my friend is a vice president of where I can make an obscene amount of money. And this guy calls me, well, I'm one, he's one of my best friends. So we talk every you know month or two and he always brings it up. You ready to come down? He's like, got a 2023 pickup truck, gas card, you know, company cell phone. This will be your salary, 401k. He's like, the guy that has your position, he's like, we all hate him. He's like, the CEO hates this guy. CFO hates this guy. Everyone that works under this guy hates this guy. Like, as soon as you want to come down here, job is yours. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That friend, I only say that because I have prayed a lot about going to Texas and it's just not God's will. It is not. You would know because if it was, I would run that way. Right. Easy money. In a state that's like averages 120 degrees, you know, (laughs) throughout the year. Yeah, that's not, I know it's so bad. My point is there is always a boat at port waiting to take you away from God's will. Whenever you want to get on it and go in the opposite direction of God and run from God, it's there and it's waiting for you. It is scary to go in the direction of God's will. God's will is Nineveh. That's not easy. Okay. What did Jonah have to do to get on the boat? Yeah, he had to buy a ticket. Remember, most of the time Patrick Hayes runs from God, it is subtle. I just pretend I don't hear God. I pretend I didn't read that in the Bible. I pretend I didn't hear that from a preacher on the radio. And that's it. I just ignore it, and I go on with my day. Jonah, he didn't just pretend not to hear God. Okay, Jonah took out his wallet and purchased a ticket that represented his disobedience. 
man, that would look great in a museum somewhere. Jonah's ticket. He was invested in his disobedience. Okay, one last thing we should notice is the direction Jonah is moving. Which direction keeps getting brought up? <laughs> We're not talking about garbage airlines here, Angela. It's not Southwest. Okay, where did Jonah have to go to get to Joppa? He went down. Then he has. Then he was going to get on a boat and go down to Tarshish, and then he gets on the boat and where does he go? He goes down into the hull of the ship. What? Yeah, yeah. Understand, friend. When you are running from God, you only go down. Now, listen, and we're done. So I, I know we're we're already nine minutes past. So forgive me for keeping you long. Okay, and we're going to be done here. I understand how difficult it is to do God's will. I understand how scary it is to do God's will. I understand being lazy and just not caring, okay, about God's will. I understand how many excuses we can come up with. All I know is that God's will is infinitely easier than my will when I fight against God. I've, first of all, I've never won. And second of all, I come back to the same point. Okay. I'm going to show you a diagram here. Okay. So you drive up to this intersection and God says, all right, I want you to take a right here. Okay. We're going to go on down the road to God's will. Pretty easy, right? And then you're like, no, I don't like that. That looks scary. Yeah, that looks like it's going to be a lot of work. So then what do you do? Everyone says left. No one wants to go straight? Nick says straight? Okay, all right. Okay, here is... Yeah. Okay. So then we're like, okay, I'm going to go this way. And you go this way and you keep going this way and you get to here. Now I want to make sure you understand on this little detour and this, this map. Okay. Just so we're clear, it's not to scale. Okay. So this map, maybe it takes you a week. Maybe it takes you six months. Maybe it takes you a couple years. In your Christian life, I don't know how big of a decision is or how long it takes you. All I know is that if you don't go and take a right down the road to God's will, you are going to come around this loop, and you're going to be faced with the decision again, and God's like, okay, now I want you to go straight this time. And you're like, yeah, I went straight last time. You're not fooling me, God. I'm going to make a left. Okay? And away we go 
on this whole circus again. But you got to remember, on this trip, there are flat tires and there is inclement weather and there's all kinds of nightmares that just bog you down and make life miserable. And you always get back to the same point. And I know Christians that have done this again and again and again because they, for it doesn't matter the reason. It doesn't matter what God's will is. It doesn't matter if it's big or small. We just want to fight against God and we want to do it our way. We don't want to do it God's way. We will wind up at the same intersection again and again and again. And I am telling you, I have given up on this stuff. I am done with it. All right. Yeah. Okay. God, Madagascar. All right, let's go. I'll learn Madagascarian, whatever it is. Okay. So, friend, do not go to Joppa. Okay. Because on your way back to Nineveh, you got a shipwreck, you got a whale, you got all kinds of nonsense. You do not want to take the detour, okay? Do not go to Tarshish. Okay, we're done. Wayne, you want to close us with a word of prayer?